Hello and welcome to this talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Priscilla Charles, and I'm joined in Studio 2 today by Lucio Bagnudo from Amnesty International. We're delighted to have you in studio with us today. Thank you so much, Lucio. Thank you very much to you for reminding me, uh, Priscilla, and it's really great to be here. Thank you, Lucio. So um, let's move on and get on uh, with the show. So, um, Lucio, I'd like to um, ask you a few questions about yourself for our audience to get to know you. Can you share a little bit of information about your background and how you came to be interested in uh, the localization industry? Yeah, of course. Um, well, I was born in a tourist town in the south of Italy uh, called Ostuni, so a bit of, you know, advertisement, uh, in a humble but very hard working family where no one actually spoke any foreign languages at all. Uh, so since childhood or whoever, I've always had an interest um, towards anything uh, from outside Italy, uh, and this usually took the form of tourists holidaying uh, in my hometown. So just to give you an idea, I was the kind of kid or even teenager running after you know, tourists, poor tourists, uh, in order to uh, practice my broken English or French. Uh, I then realized uh, that uh, you know, what I had thought to be an interest um, in all things foreign was actually uh, my passion for languages. Uh, and I was uh, lucky to uh, be able to uh, follow my passion in my studies. Um, and it was actually uh, during my uh, BA in Applied Languages for uh, Business Mediation uh, that I was introduced to and uh, fell in love with uh, translation, thanks to one of uh, the best professors I ever had, uh, Natasha Raski, uh, who is now a dear friend of mine. Um, and uh, she, uh, she taught um, an inspiring uh, course uh, in uh, um, French language and, and translation at University of uh, Perugia back then. Uh, so I then obtained my master's degree in translation um, in uh, 2009 from the University of Bologna. Uh, I've lived abroad uh, a few years in order to hone my working languages, uh, and then I moved on, and uh, you know I went on to complete my uh, second master's degree, uh, an MA in uh, translation and interpreting uh, from the University of Westminster in London. So I then worked as a freelance translator, terminologist, uh, interpreter, uh, and uh, translation project manager, because I wanted to see how things were on the other side of the desk. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, which is quite different. Uh, and um, I then became uh, assistant operations managers, um, manager, sorry, uh, with special focus on uh, actually translation quality uh, assurance processes. So a lot of different roles, but I enjoyed uh, them very much, all of them. Uh, but I yearned to uh, apply my specialist knowledge uh, to a meaningful course, and my dreams were actually answered uh, when, in 2014, um, I joined Amnesty International uh, to fill the uh, newly created post of Head of Translation. Fantastic. What a journey. Thank you so much for sharing this, uh, Lucio. Uh, very inspiring. Um, so as you just mentioned, you're currently uh, the head of translation at Amnesty International. Uh, so um, Amnesty International is a global movement uh, of more than 8 million people, uh, uh, present in over 150 countries and territories, and who campaigns for human rights. So can you tell us a little bit about the organizations and about your current role and responsibilities as head of translations? So I think everyone uh, 
you know, almost everyone knows about uh, Amnesty International, but uh, I don't think everyone uh, is familiar with some of the key historic events that contributed to uh, the organization's exponential growth and sustained leadership in the field of human rights uh, over the past 60 years. So, if you don't mind, uh, I would like to go through some of these key dates to then move on to uh, talk about my current role. Um, so, uh, on the 28th of uh, May uh, 1961, the British lawyer Peter Benenson publishes the founding article, The Forgotten Prisoners uh, in the Observer, after reading about two students, Portuguese students, who um, were, had been jailed uh, for having allegedly you know, drunk a toast to liberty. So, one year later, in 1963, the International Secretariat of Armistice International is uh, created in London, uh, the then headquarters. Um, and only one year later, uh, Amnesty is awarded uh, the consultative status uh, by the UN, the Council of Europe, and uh, UNESCO. Um, then, a few years later, in 1977, uh, Amnesty is awarded uh, the Nobel Peace Prize for its defense of human dignity against torture. Um, and uh, on 2011, um, Amnesty celebrates its 50th anniversary. So today, basically, we are a movement uh, to a 59-year-old movement uh, and organization. And um, in 2014, um, a big restructuring uh, process begins, the so-called moving closer to the ground, uh, which leads to a massive decentralization. Uh, from the London International Secretariat to brand new uh, International Secretariat offices closer to where um, human rights abuses are perpetrated uh, and also aimed at transforming amnesty in a truly global uh, human rights movement. Uh, so today we have 17 um, regional offices which are fully operational. So London is not you know, uh, the headquarters, the only headquarters anymore, but we have now 17 different headquarters. Um, and uh, today, as we were saying at the beginning, we are a global movement of more than uh, 7 uh, million people campaigning in over 150 uh, countries and territories uh, for a world in which human rights can be uh, enjoyed by all. So, and it was, you know, after this little introduction, uh, you know, it was exactly also in uh, 2014, uh, during this restructuring process, or actually at the end of it, uh, that I joined Amnesty International. So, in my capacity of head of translation, I oversee, uh, I oversee the translation service of Amnesty International to ensure uh, a successful product, uh, provision of high quality translations to the organization. Of course, I don't do this alone. <laughs> uh, I'm fortunate to rely on a highly skilled uh, team of in-house translators and uh, regional uh, language coordinators uh, operating from various locations uh, worldwide, including Beirut, Hong Kong, London, Madrid, where I'm based, uh, Nairobi, and Paris, as well as our extensive network of freelance translators uh, all over the world. Um, so, beyond um, the day-to-day -day management of translation operations, my uh, responsibilities uh, also involve, uh, for example, meaningfully strategically contributing to the objective of the Language Resource Center Management Team, mm -hmm. um, leading on 
all translation-related uh, discussions with key stakeholders, teams, programs, uh, um, where it is necessary to explain, um, for example, or emphasize translation best practice protocols so that then the commissioning, uh, you know, translation commissioning process uh, works as efficiently as possible. Um, and um, leading also on global and regional uh, planning and forecast activities with the support of regional coordinators, um, elaborating on, um, you know, elaborating new analysis or, or analysis of research-based strategies, uh, all what concerns, for example, reviewing uh, the LSC uh, translation tools portfolio mm -hmm. in order to best meet the organization uh, language requirements or translation requirements. Yeah. Um, and then I, I also take care of all the uh, translation, you know, or I lead with the support of my team, of course, uh, on translation sourcing strategies, uh, translation rate frameworks, uh, and so on and so forth. So I, I really enjoyed that my role is um, diverse. You know, covers, yes, it's yeah. very diverse, covers such a vast array of responsibilities. Uh, that every day is a new challenge and I definitely don't get bored. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. That sounds fascinating. Um, so now I'd like to talk about the um, current global health crisis that unfortunately so many of us are going through. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the actions that Amnesty International has taken in response to this crisis? Because I understand that um, the role of Amnesty must be so important uh, at the moment. Yeah, the, well, the way governments uh, decide to respond to COVID-19 pandemic um, has the potential uh, to impact the human rights of millions of people. Uh, Amnesty International is closely uh, monitoring then uh, government responses to uh, to the crisis and is denouncing uh, those who don't fulfill their obligations or even worse, uh, those who, who are using this crisis for their own interests. Um, so, uh, in addition, Amnesty uh, has published recommendations for national governments, uh, you urging them to uh, ensure uh, that their, um, their responses uh, to COVID-19 are in line with international and regional human rights obligations. Uh, last but not least, uh, as usual, Amnesty is currently um, also informing uh, people about their rights and on how human rights can help protect us uh, in this situation. So, for example, uh, information about, about uh, right to health, um, uh, the right to access uh, information, the right to work, the right at work, etc. And um, to, to see a bit, to give you an idea of how all of this work uh, then impacts or, or how translation, you know, supports actually this this work. In the past, uh, only in the past three weeks, uh, this has materialized as over 150,000 words of COVID-19-related uh, content only, uh, translated into, you know, across more than uh, 10 language combinations for a total of, you know, 158 uh, pieces of work, etc., mainly media material. Uh, but there are also, for example, very interesting uh, human rights education courses on COVID-19 and human rights, which I really recommend anyone to, to, to watch. Thank you so much. Um, so we're talking about the current uh, situation, how um, countries are um, handling the situation differently. Um, so do you have yourself any thoughts on the current situation and in the relationship of like in the different ways in which you know the governments are and the policies the advice are obviously not necessarily consistent around the world unfortunately yeah well 
I genuinely think that um, there should be no room for selfishness, disrespect, racism, xenophobia, stigmatization, and, and you know, other similar plagues, both you know, in general, but especially um, you know, at the time uh, like this, at a time like this. Um, I mean, this uh, crisis uh, should should unite us more than you know, divide us really. So, um, and. In addition, as we know, uh, COVID-19 uh, does not respect borders. It does not differentiate among ethnicities, ages, gender, and so on and so forth. And it is only um, through a collective and coordinated, you know, effort that it can be solved. So, yeah, yeah. I think we, we should be really coordinated and, you know, uh, work together. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so um, now I'd like to talk about a, a different topic. Um, at the beginning of the year, you attended the Fin Global Forum Amsterdam, and uh, we were delighted to have you as our keynote speaker. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience and of attending the forum since it was yeah. your first time? Yeah, well, the forum was absolutely an, an exciting and amazing experience, uh, to, to tell you the truth. I was uh, I mean, I would strongly recommend it to anyone thinking of attending, first of all, uh, because not only does it mean uh, privileged access to world leaders and experts uh, of the highest caliber, uh, but to me it was also a great opportunity to broaden my horizons and knowledge, uh, learn from others, contribute to meaningful discussions, and uh, why not also join you know, such a dynamic and uh, exceptional community. Uh, so I would like really to thank the organizers of the Think Global Forum once again, including yourself, uh, for inviting me to be keynote speaker at this all-important event, really. Thank you so much. We're delighted that um, the event was a success and that you enjoyed it. And we look forward to seeing you at another event very soon when um, the situation or the current situation improves in the future. Um, so um, in your keynote, uh, I noted that you sp spoke about uh, from um, how from the very beginning uh, Amnesty recognized languages as being a core set that it acknowledged and recognized languages as an instrumental tool to achieve a greater human rights impact worldwide. Uh, and that something that you mentioned earlier on in this interview, this led to the creation of the language policy and strategy in 2007, and then to the creation of the language resource center, uh, which is a virtual network of language experts. So I'd like, I'm very curious, I'd like you to tell me a little bit more about uh, this center. And yes. Yeah, sure. Um, indeed, the LRC um, is a virtual network of language professionals operating in various locations around the world. Um, the core function of the LRC is to provide translation, interpreting, uh, production, digital services, and other language uh, services uh, tailored to multiple channels uh, and multiple audiences. Um, so we strive uh, to make the most uh, effective and strategic use of uh, language and production resources, um, delivering high quality content and promoting best practice in the language field with um, an innovative and multidisciplinary approach. So translation is quite obviously uh, a key service uh, offered by the LSE and just like the center itself, uh, translation activity is managed by a network team mm -hmm. of experienced in-house translators uh, and also translation project coordinators across various local offices who then work with uh, and oversee um, our professional uh, freelance uh, translators uh, all over the world. 
Thank you so much. Um, it sounds like a fantastic resource uh, to have. So thank you for uh, for looking after this. So now um, we're talking about um, your role in Amnesty International and uh, the role of Amnesty in general. So can you tell us for, for yourself, how important is the role of the localization industry in helping, you know, um, send across essential messages to, uh, you know, that nonprofit organizations are, you know, um, uh, are trying to, you know, uh, like, like basically trying to spread the word and trying to send essential messages, uh, whether it's on a current the current situation that we're going through or in general. Mm. Well, to answer you know your question in two words, really, it's really critical. That's what I would say. And uh, as I often say, also um, without translation, Amnesty's message would not get very far. Uh, and this is also uh, the case, I'm sure, for many other NGOs out there. Uh, language uh, definitely matters uh, a lot and it is vital uh, that financial uh, resources be put into it really. Thank you. Yes, it is. It is vital, um, absolutely. And um, and as you mentioned, uh, Amnesty is involved in so many different areas and uh, and is providing so much content. So I'd like to talk about the different types of material that you're providing, uh, because it is so vital in so many areas of our lives. Um, I understand that you're in over 150 countries. So how are you managing this from a global perspective? There's yeah. so much in so many, so many different areas. It's a lot indeed. <laughs> so, I mean, just to give you an idea, a very simplified idea. <laughs> uh, so the LSC manages all the translation requests that come from the International Secretary's team, uh, who are basically our direct clients, to put it that way. Uh, so as I, brief, I briefly mentioned earlier, uh, there are global teams uh, most of which are based in London, in the London office, and then there are regional teams based in the various regional offices around the world. Uh, so all of these teams are our clients. Uh, and we, of course, have various workflows, uh, depending on the type of documents or the type of material, actually. Uh, so, for example, we have a workflow for what we call plant material, so the material we, we have an idea, we know when exactly, or more or less exactly, it will come in for translation. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, other work for another workflow for what we call fast track material, mainly for example media material, okay. uh, which are really you know uh, fast with a fast turnaround time, uh, etc. Or urge actions, uh, uh, anything which is urgent. Uh, and then another you know a type of workflow, for example, could be the crisis response, uh, you know type of material. So even more you know uh, quick turnaround or you know completely unplanned of course because you know it's a response to a crisis and so on and so forth um, but we also you know manage uh, translation requests coming from uh, what we call amnesty entities so for example amnesty sections which are like amnesty france amnesty ireland uh, and so on and so forth um, or national offices uh, like uh, amnesty brazil amnesty nigeria um, which are not section. So additionally, in order to manage all this incoming flow of, uh, of documents or requests, um, also in order with the aim of streamlining uh, ways of working, we, um, we have introduced a single commissioning system uh, for translations uh, and other related services because we also translate you know, platforms, etc., mm -hmm. uh, localize them, uh, so on and so 
so forth. And um, so teams requiring the translation of their, you know, uh, output uh, need only, I mean, they only need to uh, complete a very intuitive and straightforward uh, online translation request form, uh, which acts as a single point of content that filters translation requests into and out of any language. Wow, thank you so much. Well, that is absolutely fascinating and that is, uh, I'm realizing the amount uh, of content and work that Amnesty does. So thank you so much. Now, um, Amnesty states that whether you're working from home, out of work, self-isolated or caring for others, uh, obviously those are very lonely and uncertain times. Um, life may feel it's on hold right now for many of us, and uh, but the fight for new human rights never stops. And uh, even in times of uncertainty, Amnesty will continue to call out human rights violators wherever they see them. So thank you so much, Lucio, for all the fantastic work that you do, all the teams, Amnesty National, Internationals. It is so important. Thank you. Um, I have one more question to ask you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience today, whether it's Amnesty related or about yourself that you would like to share um, um, for our audience today? Well, first of all, I, I would like to thank you uh, for creating this space uh, for this, you know, great chat we have just had, which I hope the audience will find interesting. Uh, and um, I would also, also like to take this opportunity to uh, wish everyone the very best in these challenging times. Uh, stay healthy, both mentally and physically. Be as physically active as your local restrictions allow. Uh, and most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Thank you so much, Lucio. And so it's been an absolute pleasure to have Lucio on the show today. Uh, so thank you for spending time with us, uh, telling us about the wonderful work that you do with Amnesty International. And it is unfortunately the end of today's show already with Lucio Banuel from Amnesty International, head of translation at Amnesty International. Uh, so please make sure to tune again um, to listen or uh, view this Vistex uh, show and the next one, uh, where we'll be discussing more interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you.